Hi, everyone. Welcome to Commercial Real Estate Bosses, where we interview badass investors who are crushing it in the commercial real estate space. I'm your host, Sierra Hoffman. And on today's call, we have Adam Parrish of A&D Acquisitions. So Adam, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. As usual, I always like to start off by knowing more about your background. So tell us what you did before and how you got into commercial real estate. So I've, I've always really been in real estate. My parents did it first and um, sort of went along the journey with them. Uh, I know you can listen to my, my mom's podcast that you also did with Sierra. And her story really begins in 2008 during the crash because she used to be a realtor. And um, when things crashed, she bought a property in North Carolina while the crash was really hit hard in Arizona where she was a realtor. And they moved our entire family out to North Carolina to self-manage the property. So mm -hmm. it's really thrown into the business and forcefully sent to the fields at a young age to <laughs> work, work on that property for a while. A young age, I nice. just uh, picked up trash probably when I was around 10 years old. Wow. And that's pretty got, young. <laughs> mm -hmm. Trash isn't too difficult though. I mean, our, our properties were, um, they weren't awful properties. Surprisingly, like they were like C-class properties. They weren't D, they were C. And uh, mm -hmm. like for all the years that I was there, like by myself, or at least my brother was usually there too. We were landscaping, doing mm -hmm. maintenance with some of the maintenance people. We're surprisingly never, like we never got our car stolen or like got robbed or anything. And it was like, yeah. a, it was a sketchy area somewhat, but um, <laughs> maybe people are scared of us because nice. we look so, so tough. <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah. yeah so you got into it at a super young age because your mom and you know for any listeners who are listening right now if you haven't already you can listen to his mom's episode her name is lisa Parrish. you can go into kind of her story there so you got into this basically you're 10 years old and then from there uh take us to the next part of your story what happened after that i'll say next after that i i pretty much did stuff on the property maintenance until i was about 16 or 17. um and then I, I never really liked maintenance. I was never really, I didn't like having to do that dirty type of work. When I was about 16, 17, I went to my first Dave Lindell seminar. Uh, I think we flew out, like, I think the first one we went to was all the way in Boston. We went straight to Boston. That was definitely an, an interesting experience going to that. I learned more about like what really multifamily actually is and there's other yeah. other sides to it there's the underwriting due diligence and everything else involved mm -hmm. uh, asset management like how you, how you really need to like how my parents were doing it wrong really with uh self-managing <laughs> so many yeah. units for so long and, yeah um, self-managing is a tough business for sure and i know that lisa on the podcast said she was doing that for quite a long time. And that kind of, you get to a point where you're stuck, right? You're not able to really scale anymore because if you're managing it yourself, well, all of your time is spent managing that property. How are you supposed to spend time acquiring more and how are you going to have the time to manage the new ones that you've acquired? Right. So it's really about 100%. how can I scale from there? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll take a little bit of credit for that. Cause when, um, they took me to that. I was thinking like, why are you guys like not scaling up? What are you guys doing? You've had a hundred <laughs> units for like 10 years. <laughs> so you went to the Dave Lindell and then how did that experience 
transform your business from there? My parents started having me underwrite new deals for them. And surprisingly, like obviously results may vary, but it was the very first deal that I ever underwrote that the numbers actually worked. And oh, we wow. ended up doing that deal. I know it usually <laughs> takes like, like you ask anybody else and it's still for me um, in newer prop newer deals takes like 50 mm-hmm. deals to underwrite before like you find one that you actually, that actually like really yeah. works. But for some reason that, that property worked, I gave it to my, my mom's like, how does these numbers work? And obviously I wasn't like deep into underwriting at the time. It was just quick and dirty. Just see if like the yeah. cash on cash works, ARR, IRR. And mm-hmm. she's like, what? There's no way these work. And they did. And <laughs> we ended up closing on it. And that was really the beginning of when the next stage of my parents, their real estate career really took off too, because they, that's what, when they really started to begin scaling up. Nice. So you're the underwriter for the team then, is that right? Mm-hmm, pretty much. My, my parents don't really like to underwrite and I happen to, to enjoy numbers somewhat and that type of field and really getting into due diligence. And of course our, our whole family is really deep into like going on the property all the time, asset management. Mm-hmm. That's really always been our thing, especially with our family spending so much time managing ourselves. Nice. So are all of your properties then local to where you live or are you guys spread out over different areas? We are spread out over different areas. We try not to spread ourselves too thin. I think that's a big thing I want to talk about on the podcast too is um, there's like you can, there's di- you want to have a diversity of markets, but you also don't want to spread yourself too thin. And there's the economies of scale in which you want to have, we don't like to buy like 10 units in one spot and don't usually the only time we'll buy a, a like a small amount of units is if we already have a bunch of units there because if you buy like 10 units mm-hmm. just for like one one thing would be the property management might be like eight or ten percent on a property that's small yeah. but if you already have a portfolio and add to it and you have 100 plus units it'll be closer to like three or four percent yeah when we were in north carolina we we basically just bought north carolina and Recently, like a year or two ago, I moved back to Arizona mm-hmm. and I don't currently own anything in Arizona, though I'm building a lot of relationships here. Mm-hmm. It's mostly stuff. We, we have stuff in North Carolina and Texas. That's where we've been doing everything. Yeah. As long as we go to our properties, I say, say like once a month, just go to check mm-hmm. everything out. I mean, we have a property management company, so we don't have to go all the time just to make sure that everything's kept up well, not micromanaging, mm-hmm. just making sure everything's fine. Nice. So you visit your properties about once a month and tell us about what your portfolio looks like today. How many units do you have? I have owned general partnership in a little over 1100 units. Currently with um, excluding properties that we've sold, it's 411 units. And those consist of um, Hickory, North Carolina, Dallas, Houston, and Waco, Texas. And since you are the underwriter for the deal and you're looking at all these numbers every day, are you doing anything different as far as your underwriting goes um, for 2023? Because we know how much the markets have changed. Has that changed how you look at deals? Yes, definitely. I'm I'm much more conservative in my numbers. And I I know there is a lot of data, uh, metrics that, that show that things might be getting a little bit better. But I mean, in my personal opinion, I think certain certain data is a little bit manipulated. I think that there's, I think we're definitely going into a recession 
I think 2023, maybe towards the latter half of 2023, 2024, rates will go down. But I, I think that things will still be a little bit difficult over the next year. I think property prices will probably still go down. Lending is still difficult. We experienced it as a seller um, six months ago, even a property we were selling for about, I think we tried to get like 11 million for it at the time. And then the, pro the we had to slowly bring the price down. We were getting too greedy mm -hmm. and eventually we, we, we got under contract at like 8 million, so 3 million less. Wow. And, yeah. It's and a then big like, jump. Yeah. I think it was like a week before closing though, the buyers tried to renegotiate and then we just, we decided to keep it. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. But we're experiencing it from both sides. Yeah. I, I think sellers are still asking too much than mm -hmm. what they should be able to get because things really went up. And like 2021, 22, and even just over the last eight, 10 years, it's been a, a fantastic market overall. Yeah. I, think, I think, I think it's never an awful time to, to get into real estate. I think it's the best thing you can get into, mm -hmm. but that you have to be very conservative in how you do it and just be very careful with your numbers. And if you're investing as an, a limited partner, make sure you're investing with experienced operators who have done it for a while or, or mm -hmm. the people that have been doing it are at least with a sponsor who has experience and they're investing in emerging markets. Yeah. And so you mentioned one deal where you were selling it and you decided not to, and you're holding on to that deal now. So how is, how are you guys structuring things as far as what to sell, what to hold, especially you know, obviously we have limited invest like partners or investors that are, have their money in the deal and they have certain expectations for when they're going to see their money come back. So mm -hmm. are you doing anything differently? Um, and are you still able to kind of meet those timelines for the investor? Yeah. I mean, even when we were about to sell for 8 million on the, the property we wanted to sell, we were still going to meet our investors returns, but we just decided not to sell because the property was still running very well. Then we were in a situation where we needed to sell. We just really wanted to because we could sell for so much equity, but we've really sold everything we want to, we've wanted to sell over the past couple years. And now mm -hmm. we're just holding on to everything, making sure everything is fine, still looking for properties. We're, I think it's important to stay in the game and constantly be making connections, networking and underwriting mm -hmm. new deals. I've been underwriting a lot of deals lately and no, none of the numbers make any sense, but just staying in the game and maybe you, I might find something and like, mm -hmm. there's, there's lots of ways to get creative and find something out there, whether it's a, so you can get like seller financing or you can assume a loan, but things get tricky there. Mm -hmm. But I, I would say staying in the game is, is important and not having too high expectations of getting anything right now, just making the connections. Yeah. So how many markets are you underwriting in currently? North Carolina, Texas, and Arizona. And it's like specific markets would be like, I live in Tucson, Arizona. So some specifically Tucson, mm -hmm. Dallas, Texas, um, and like tertiary markets of Dallas and tertiary markets of Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and so you mentioned, you know, having a diverse portfolio, but also, you know, not spreading yourself too thin. So what would you recommend for somebody who is kind of getting started right now? Maybe doesn't know exactly which market they want to get into. Should they focus on one 
market at a time? Should they look at a couple simultaneously? What are your thoughts on that? I would say probably like two markets, maybe not just one market in case you can find something somewhere else, but definitely limiting the Mm -hmm. amount of markets you have. There's a lot of relationships you have to build in a market. You have to find lenders. Local lenders are are preferred because in certain markets, lenders that are from far away may not give you as good terms because they don't like the market. So local lenders, uh, local brokers to actually find the deals and other partners, capital raisers. So I would say like just a couple markets preferably. And if you can do your backyard as the market, that's definitely preferred, but it Mm -hmm. doesn't always work out that way. All the time, your your backyard may not be the, the best market. Nice. And so what are your big goals currently? You've got, you know, about 1,100 units. What is kind of your long-term vision and your big why for wanting to expand your portfolio? Well, I guess I'll start with my why. I would say my why would probably just be uh, financial freedom. So in case anything ever happens to my family, I can always be in a position where I would have the money to help out in certain ways. I would say that that would probably be my, my main why and goals that I would have. I would think a, a solid goal would be 10,000 units one day. I think I'm, I'm still mm-hmm. young. I have a I like to get 10,000, but also spreading out into other types of industries or that are related to real estate. I want to open up a pub one day uh, called Parish Pub. Nice. Uh, open up a few of those. And we got a spot in North, uh, South Carolina, in Newberry, where I might do that. Might get in the whiskey business too. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So is that like a, a passion of yours as well? Yeah. Recently, whiskey, I've, I've just been, I don't know. I don't even remember how I really got into whiskey. I just, I know like lots of business people with like old fashions are their drink of choice and i was like you know yeah. it'd be cool to own my own whiskey one day so i've nice. now been like researching whiskey trying to drink it neat um straight <laughs> get used to it yeah that's awesome and then you're looking to maybe become a pilot as well is that right yeah but, nice. uh, i think i started like a couple years ago i have about 40 hours of uh flight time right now haven't had much time to really get to the later stages of getting it, but uh, it's on my to-do nice. list. My husband wants to get his pilot license as well. He wants to be able to fly helicopters so we don't have to be stuck in traffic anymore. <laughs> it's definitely fun. Uh, I was I was basically forced into it my first time. My dad brought me to the airport, and I thought we were mm-hmm. just like going to take a joyride or something. But then the, the pilot was like, all right, get in the, the driver's seat. <laughs> I didn't know anything about flying a plane and obviously he was yeah. helping me out. Cause when you're in a, in a, a plane like that, it was like a little small plane. You have the two yokes together so they mm-hmm. can help me out. But I, I took the mm-hmm. uh, off the thing, flew it a little bit and I have a, a fear of heights, but for some reason it wasn't, it's not as bad when you're actually flying the plane for some reason. So you've talked about, you know, where you have accomplished so far as far as your portfolio, where you want to go. Do you have any thoughts, any additional thoughts on, you know, what we can expect to see in the market maybe in this upcoming year if we're going heading into this recession? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't consider myself an an expert in like the economy or anything, but I would say I think rates are going to go up 
a little bit more still. I'd say probably a few more basis points, a couple more percent. I would say um, in terms of underwriting, a few few areas that I would uh, be careful for um, would be like, for example, I see a lot of students with their terminal cap rate, they have their terminal cap rate too low projected because cap mm-hmm. rates, I think are gonna definitely raise. They've been very low lately. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that that would be a, a big thing. Like if you have a 1960 vintage property in a C area and mm-hmm. buy it at a four cap and expect it to sell it at say like a 4.5 cap, it's probably gonna end up selling for a lot more. So let's just say, you know, on a five-year hold, what should people be adding onto for their final cap rate? So if it's say like they're buying at a five cap right now, where should be the the exit cap rate? Should they be doing it for like six or what are your thoughts? Uh, I would probably underwrite at six and it depends on the market. Also, it depends on a lot of different things on what exactly you would set it at and you might just be over overpaying for it and that, that might be why your mm-hmm. um, cap rate is as low as it, as it is now. So mm-hmm. it really depends, but I just like to keep it closer to five or six for most of the properties I do. And then if it's like really bad, then maybe even like 7%. Got it. All right. Well, the next thing that I want to kind of transition into is to do just a walkthrough of one of your deals. So maybe one that was maybe more difficult than others and just kind of walk us through, you know, how you got it, what you liked about it, what you didn't like, and maybe some challenges that you overcame. So we have a 38 unit that we recently got about six months ago. And it was sent to us by High Country Capital Partners. Um, so I'll give a, a quick shout out to Alec Beardall. It's been um, fantastic to work with. So it's coming up with creative ideas for us to increase our NOI. So it's been great. We've been we basically split asset management. He usually deals with the investors mostly. I think I say both of us still also help on the rest of the asset management for the property management company. So they mm-hmm. were the deal sourcers. We split money raising. And this is the very first deal that me and my brother were able to sponsor together so that we fully nice. sponsored this deal. So yeah, that, that was fun. Um, very cool. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how we got the deal. It's a, it's a pretty interesting property. It's a 20, I believe 2021 build. So very, mm-hmm. very new not something we would usually buy. We usually buy like 1980s products. It's still value add though. The, the interesting about it is it has like an elevator. It was built by some guy who doesn't know anything about apartment complexes. <laughs> he did hotels before. So yeah. the elevator was is exciting. Uh, luckily we budgeted beforehand because we knew there'd be issues with it breaking down all the time. And it has broken mm-hmm. down, but we budgeted yeah. that in so it's not a big issue. But it, there's a lot of value add for sure. The, there's like a bunch of storage units that weren't being utilized. Mm-hmm. Like people were just storing their stuff for free. So we would um, give them some time to take out their stuff or just like pay whatever. We would charge a little bit. I think maybe like $50 a, a storage unit. And mm-hmm. where the office used to be, we transitioned that into an Airbnb we're moving the, we moved the current office into a little tiny office we built in the hallway. Like we built a, a wall. So there was a, a new office cause there was like a, a massive hallway that was 
wasn't being utilized as well as it should have been. So we turned that the old office into a nice Airbnb, which is perfect for the area because it's right next to the Texas State Fair. And the property is in Dallas, Texas. I don't know if I mentioned that. Dallas, Texas, right next to the Dallas State Fair. And mm-hmm. the Dallas State Fair happens every October. So that that's when it'll, the Airbnb will be mostly utilized. That's the, our first Airbnb. So it should be exciting to see how that goes. But, Very cool. Mm-hmm. And so are, would you be thinking about doing more units as Airbnbs or are you just going to stick with just the one? We've definitely thought about it a lot more. I think it was at the last peak partnership event some, I can't remember the guy's name, but he, he went up and he was talking about Airbnbs and implementing them into apartment complexes. And ever since mm-hmm. then, we've, we've had that idea that, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to just transition a few units at a time, mm-hmm. like maybe like 5% of our, our units. And if the area makes sense to have an Airbnb, like it, it might be a nice touristy area, it's a lot more income than a regular apartment rent. It's just, Mm -hmm. you have to fill it a lot more. Yeah, exactly. And so me and my husband, we've done Airbnbs just on the single family side. And so when we first got into multifamily, we were very highly interested in doing like smaller multifamily, maybe around 20 units or so, and kind of turning it into almost like a boutique hotel, doing like short-term rentals through it. And, you know, I think that's still something that we're pretty interested in. We haven't started you know, looking into that yet, but that's definitely something that is probably going to be on the horizon soon. All right. Well, do you have any final words or a big piece of advice you'd give somebody who is new starting out and wants to get into multifamily? For a piece of advice, uh, at least for newer investors, I say don't get too discouraged on trying to find numbers that work. I would say just Keep building up your network. That's definitely the biggest thing. Time in the market mm-hmm. is important. Consistently building relationships. You never know who you're going to meet. If you're an underwriter, keep underwriting deals. Don't rush into anything. Don't rush into partnerships. Don't mm-hmm. rush into deals that don't work. Be careful in yeah. a market like this, but at the same time, just keep looking. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't be discouraged because sometimes you can review a hundred deals before you find the one that you can even put an offer in on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're, if you're resilient enough, then you will succeed. It's a for sure thing. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Adam. Mm-hmm. Where is the best place for people to find you online if they want to learn more about you? You can go to my Facebook. It would just be Adam Parrish. And I'd also like to shout out a couple of things. First, I'll shout out Ryan and Tyler Devereaux mm-hmm. from Multifamily Mindset. I'll just shout them out real quick because they... They've been great. I love going to their events um, and mm-hmm. peak partnership. And also something I like to touch on is a, a software company um, called Bright Investor. Something one of the co-founders, Donato Callahan, went on your show. He's one of the, the co-founders, and it's something that I'm an angel investor in. And I feel nice. like it's it's something that should solve a, a problem a lot of new investors are having with the, the analysis paralysis. And the idea of it is real estate market research made simpler, giving investors peace of mind so they don't feel too scared or hesitant to take action. And the way that they do that is by visually representing data on an easy to read Mm -hmm. map. 
like some of the data vendors that they have, some of the most reputable well-known brands such as AdamData.com, Rentometer, Bureau of Labor Statistics, Crimeometer, Mashvisor, GreatSchools.org, mm-hmm. and the U.S. Census Bureau. I mean, um, a Perfect. very solid company. I'm excited about it. Nice. So I'll definitely have a link to that in the show notes below. And you have your own podcast as well, right? Mm-hmm. The Commercial Multifamily Lion's Den podcast. Nice. Check that out. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in today. If you guys enjoyed today's show, please write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Every review helps us to reach more and more people looking to get involved in commercial real estate. Thank you so much for having me, Sierra. Today's show was sponsored by Synergy Capital Investments. To download your free multifamily investment guide for beginners or to schedule a call to learn about our upcoming investment projects, go to thrivewithsynergy.com. That's thrivewithsynergy.com or click on the link below.